parents uh, were the ones to kind of encourage me and give me a nudge in that direction. I always ended up getting uh, chemistry sets and uh, microscopes and things like that for my birthday, telescopes uh, for my birthday presents or my uh, Christmas presents. And they were fun. They were toys to me. It was just something that I played with. And so it didn't feel like learning. It just felt like something to do, something to occupy my time and something to enjoy. And, uh, you know, growing up, I always did fairly well in school. I wouldn't say that I was the best student in the class, but I was certainly was above average, you could say. Um, and I loved going to the library. My parents would constantly take me to the library, which was really enriching for me because you have this space, this physical space that's just full of knowledge. And some of it's knowledge for entertainment, you know, fiction books and things like that, even though there's certain amount of learning that you can get through fiction. But a lot of it was just uh, exploration. It was just an opportunity to find new ideas, new insights, new things, new ways of thinking, uh, and of course have a little bit of fun in the process. One of the most, uh, I guess, embarrassing moments for me in the library uh, was, and this might sound really silly now, but at the time as a child, it was really humiliating. I had left the house uh, completely unaware of the fact that I had forgotten to change my shoes. So I was wearing like my house slippers, which were these brown corduroy slippers. And of course, you know, I got dressed and ready to go and everything like that, but completely spaced on my shoes. And I get to the library and I realize, oh my gosh, I've wore my slippers and it was so embarrassing. And I remember my mom being very encouraging, just it'll be fine. No one will notice. No one will notice. And of course, I'm super hyper conscious of the situation, but I still went. I enjoyed myself. I, I think the, the library is a, is a place where we can really search uh, that's kind of the idea that I think about whenever I think about libraries is searching and exploring. So as I grew up, uh, I had uh, parents of friends and colleagues who would tell me, Anthony, you're going to be a teacher one day. I can just imagine you as a teacher. And so I always took that as kind of a little bit of a mandate, even though, you know, they were just suggesting that as a career route and always kind of thought of myself as a teacher. And part of that was because I, I learned a lot of stuff as I went through school. Um, I remember one of my first jobs, we had a really uh, kind and wonderful security guard who would sit at the desk and as people would come in, he would greet them and he would always call me professor. And this was when I, had, I barely had a bachelor's degree. So I don't know what it was about me or the way I presented myself that he always thought of me as a professor. So he would call me Professor Anthony as I would walk in the door and it always made me feel really good. And I don't know, he probably called a lot of different people professor, but it always made me feel really good about myself. And of course, when I was in college, I really, really enjoyed studying. Uh, I think the things I disliked about college were having to take these introductory classes. And it was always kind of this basic knowledge. And then by the time you got to the end of the semester, you started to get into something really good and really interesting and fun. But then getting to that point was always a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I think the best part of my uh, university education was when I went to graduate school and I was studying a master's degree. And that was super, super fun because I really got to dive in depth to a topic and to an issue. Um, as I was studying my master's, I got my first research job uh, at a university nearby, and uh, it was the first time I'd ever conducted research with other human beings. It was really a, an exciting proposition. Prior to that, I'd only really conducted research as kind of on my own desk research, but this was the first time we were actually conducting research on human beings, and we were looking at um, how people take care of people who have dementia. 
And so uh, they trained me in the research protocol, the survey, how to deliver the survey, how to train the uh, participants and how to collect some uh, biological data as well. And I was just so thrilled to be part of it. It was just such an exciting experience because I finally got to be on that front end of, of, of knowledge creation. So where prior to that, I was just a consumer of knowledge. I would just be out there reading, learning, trying to understand. Now I was on the front lines of creating something new, creating new knowledge. Uh, and even in, I mean, I, I'm going to jump around here, but back in my undergraduate days, when I was doing that desk research, uh, you know, I would spend hours in the university library, and I remember loving it so much. I would take my lunch, and I would go down to the basement of the library, and they had all these little cubicles, and I would grab all my books, and I'd bring this huge stack of books down there, and I would just sit and read, and eat lunch, and read, and read, and read, and read, and try to think about my work. And this was more or less pre-smartphone, so I didn't really have that extra distraction of connecting with people and friends and things like that. And of course, social media wasn't around at that time either. So it was, uh, it, I have fond memories of being in that place. And uh, one of the things I loved doing most in the library was ordering books on interlibrary loans. So we had this great system in the US where, uh, at least at my university, where you could request books from any university, almost any any university in the, in the country. And it was so thrilling to be like, I think this volume, this book, whatever it is, could have some new information for me about the topic that I'm researching or investigating. So I always took it as a challenge. And uh, I would go up to the librarian and I had all these forms filled out for all my stack of forms for interlibrary loan. And I would give them to them and uh, they would uh, order my books. And then I would get a message a few weeks later that my books had arrived. And it was such a thrilling experience. It really gave me that feeling of like, uh, almost like uh, opening a present because you were going to the library to get something new that you knew wasn't available to just everybody at my university. You had to actually take that extra step. And when I was in my undergraduate, I also had my first experience of an academic conference. Now, academic conferences are just these really, I guess, interesting places of meeting other people who have the same passion for a research topic as you do. And so at the time, I was taking a music history course. And so I was doing some independent study on uh, archaeomusicology, so combining music with archaeology. And I found out about this really cool conference that was in Philadelphia. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go. I have to find a way of getting there. I went, stayed with my aunt at the time and went to this conference and it blew my mind because I'm sitting here thinking like amongst all of my peers that I'm really kind of geeking out on the subject, but there couldn't possibly be other people that think this subject is as cool as I do. And then I'm sitting there in that space with those other people who think this topic is as cool as I thought it was. And it was such a fulfilling and validating moment uh, because again, we didn't have the kind of spaces that we have now where you can connect with the other people who are kind of geeking out on the same topics as you are. So at some point in time in my undergraduate, I realized that I wanted to do a PhD. I really didn't know why. There wasn't anything about my undergraduate degree that made me think, oh, this is a field of science that I think we could do great and wonderful things with. It was simply just the title. It was seeing a PhD as that highest level of academic achievement. So I didn't have a purpose necessarily other than to get those three letters. Uh, and it wasn't something I really made possible public. I didn't go around telling everybody, oh, I want to make, I want to do a PhD or anything like that. Um, I just, I just had it in my back of my head as something that I wanted to do as a goal. 
And uh, when I was in my master's, I was more or less an average student. It wasn't as if I stood above the rest of the people in my class. It was nice to have people who cared about the topic as much as I did, but it wasn't necessarily that I was, uh, you know, kind of straight A student and excelling at every part of my, uh, every, in every class that I took. Uh, but one teacher did uh, recognize that I had a passion for this sort of field. And so she asked me, would you do a poster uh, for an upcoming conference? Now, uh, academic posters are just these big kind of pieces of paper, more or less, that has your research kind of detailed. And so they'll put up a whole bunch at a conference, a whole bunch of these posters, and people will mill about and, you know, have a cup of coffee and read what's on the poster. Most of the time they don't read what's on the poster, but they at least kind of stand there and pretend like they're reading something and, you know, network and get, get to know one another. So uh, when I had the chance to do this poster session, I, you know, I saw what everybody else was doing and I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just do a poster. So instead of doing that, uh, I got a computer and this was a early days of touchscreen. So I got a touchscreen computer because there was one at my work and I could use that. And I made a PowerPoint presentation on that, but I made it in a way that if you pushed a button on the PowerPoint presentation, it would take you to a new uh, slide. And so then that gave you a different piece of information about my research. And it was really exciting and thrilling. And I brought a projector to the conference, <laughs> the poster session. And of course, mine was the only one that used that kind of tag. But it was really fun for me because I got to engage with this, uh, with this sort of activity in a new and in a different way. Uh, all in all, this just meant that I was really spending a lot more time in the spaces where other academics and uh, even my teachers were spending. And so I got a chance to really get to know a lot of them and to learn about their just basic life, like what is life like as an academic? Uh, and it was really fulfilling because uh, they they inspired me. It was really something that I could look to them as role models and as kind of superheroes in their own right. And one, one of those role models was a guy named Richard Wilkinson, and he wrote a really amazing book with his partner a few years ago, and we had invited him to a conference that I was at. And it was my responsibility as kind of the, uh, you know, the, the fetch and carry person at the conference to go and meet him at the airport and escort him to the conference venue so he got there safely and everything was kind of smooth. And I remember uh, greeting him and saying, hi, Dr. Wilkinson, you know, my name's Anthony, I'm here to take you to the conference. Conference. And he said, thank you, Anthony. He said, but I don't have my doctorate. Uh, and this was really surprising to me because I'm sitting there thinking this is someone who's absolutely revered in their field. He uh, you know, has achieved such a notoriety as an academic. How is it possible that he doesn't have a doctorate? So it kind of burst my expectations of what it is to be an academic in some respects, because I realized that actually you don't need a doctorate to actually make a real big impact in academia. Um, and then at the same time, I was uh, I was uh, networking with a guy named Jeff Swanson. Now, Jeff is a uh, he's a sociologist, but he's kind of an applied sociologist, and he works primarily in the health uh, healthcare field. Uh, and he had this really cool uh, early days of YouTube. Even uh, he had this really cool YouTube channel where he would more or less put on different personas in in front of the camera and act out these different scenes, but in the name of kind of communicating science and in the name of communicating uh, the ideas that he worked with. And so it was really cool to get to know him, try to understand his work, try to understand how he went about it, especially this idea of an applied sociologist. 
A, a few years later, I met a, a really amazing uh, academic, uh, actually a medical doctor, but also a researcher named Kurshid Guru, and he uh, runs the Guru Char Charitable Foundation, and that's where uh, I met and worked with him. He later uh, ended up saving a, a young a child's life on an airplane. If you Google his name, Kurshid Guru, uh, you'll see this article because he became very well known for that act. But anyways, he, he really touched me in the sense that working with him gave me new insights into the way an academic could transform uh, transform the world around them, how they could create change, because his foundation really worked with uh, people who uh, uh, who needed glasses, needed uh, vision correction in, uh, in, uh, in um, uh, an underserved region in South Central Asia. So it was an opportunity to see kind of in real life how an academic could could create change in the world around them. And that really started to channel me into this idea that an academic career isn't just about the science. The science can be fun and entertaining and, and joyful, but it's also about creating that change in society using science to create impact. So fast forward a few years after my master's degree, I'm looking for a job in academia and I'm searching for PhDs and research fellowships all over the world. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I ended up moving to Oslo and working at a very uh, wonderful research institute and getting that job. I think the first couple of weeks at that job, I realized in a kind of moment of clarity that reading and writing was now my profession. That was my everyday work. That was what I was expected to do on the job. So it wasn't a matter of I had to produce something very specific or I had to come in and do something very specific. It was a matter of coming into my work and here's a whole bunch of knowledge, consume it and write about it. And it was uh, an incredibly fulfilling uh, kind of revelation because I always thought that those sorts of jobs were kind of either didn't exist or, you know, people didn't really get paid for them uh, or the only people that got paid for them were the people who were working at the highest possible level. And now here it is. I am in that situation where I'm now uh, doing research for a living. Uh, and I remember the first time I collected data under in my doctorate uh, in the United Kingdom. And that was a really fulfilling experience because I got to connect with the human element behind my research. And I remember the first paper I ever got published because it was that feeling of achievement and accomplishment to see my name in writing with my title of my paper and all the text that I had written and all the effort that I put into that research. And that was a really gratifying experience. And my supervisor at the time really gave me the space to look at these issues from my own perspective, my own point of view, and really take the initiative on my own to make this happen. And I am incredibly grateful for him having done that. Uh, and then I got a job later as an assistant professor and I uh, got to teach my first classes and that was amazing. And my first couple of grants that I got, my first couple of research grants really showcased that it wasn't just a, I wasn't just a fluke. It wasn't just an accident that I ended up in academia, but I actually have the skills to be able to pursue this as a real profession. Uh, and then when I finally defended my dissertation, it was uh, the achievement, an achievement that was seven years in the making uh, by the time I got to that point, seven year research project by the time I got to defend my dissertation. And I think that was that culmination. That was that point that really flipped in my head that uh, my work is now 
even though I had done academic work for years, I didn't really consider it my uh, identity. But then when I defended that dissertation, that was kind of that, I passed through that uh, last hurdle and I could call myself an academic and stand firm in that. So I guess the whole takeaway, and this is a long episode and it's long because a career trajectory is a long-term pursuit. Careers don't happen overnight. Careers don't happen because you snap your fingers, because you get a degree, or because you even get a job. Careers happen gradually over time. So it may not happen for you right away. You may be in a position right now where you don't know what your career is or you've done a lot of different stuff, but you're not sure where you're going with it, what direction you're moving. My best advice is be patient. It'll work itself out. As you grow, as you evolve, as you continue to uh, mature in your field, you'll realize the connections between different areas of your life, between the different uh, aspects of your work, and you'll suddenly start to be able to create uh, a, a stronger connection between you and what work you're doing. And of course, be responsive to changes. The career fields change and evolve very rapidly. Be sensitive to that, but continue to pursue your goal, whatever that goal is, and however many times that goal changes, that's not what matters. So what matters is your pursuit of that goal and taking pleasure in the process of achieving it.